I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. You can follow us at Open Mind TV, and you can support our series on Patreon at patreon.com slash The Open Mind. I'm delighted to welcome our guest today, Akash Kapoor. He's the founder of Curry Up Now, which started as a San Francisco food truck in 2009, and it has fun spins on all the Indian classics, tikka masala, butter, chicken, of course, sexy fries, and Indian play on poutine. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me here, Alex. Um, as we grapple with this next year um, in the wake of the pandemic, what are your reflections on operating during this period of crisis and looking forward, Akash? You know, uh, two weeks into the when, when the pandemic began, you know, about a year ago, actually, um, most of the restaurant industry, if not all of us, were on our knees, you know, looking for help and, and you know, didn't, didn't know what to do, right? It was, it was uncharted waters. It was shock and awe at its greatest kind of levels. Uh, but, you know, being the kind of operators that we are and the resilience that we have as a, as a group, I think we've, a lot of us have figured it out. Um, you know, we, we started selling groceries and alcohol and, you know, something stuck, some things didn't stick. Everybody, everybody uh, and their uncle is now selling chicken wings. So, I mean, it's, there's, a, there's a lot of learnings. Uh, personally, for me and our brand, um, we hunkered down very quickly. Uh, unfortunately, we, we had to, uh, you know, uh, furlough and lay off and, and, you know, all of the similar stories, uh, pay cuts and things like that. Um, and, and, you know, but the learnings that we had and, and are still actually, you know, some of the, we're still learning, um, is you've got to always be very intimate with your brand and, and understand and always keep top of mind why we first started this. And, and, you know, over time, as you grow, you kind of tend to lose that or, you know, you lose focus. Um, and, and it, this brought us right back or brought me right back. Um, and it's helped a lot, actually. I mean, uh, we, <laughs> fortunately our food cost, things like food cost and labor have never been lower, um, because we've, you know, we've learned to, to, to work, you know, in a lean manner and corporate expenses have never been lean, um, you know, less than they are today. So there's, you know, there's things like that we've learned. Uh, and I think some of this will stick for a very long time. You said in your answer that we had to go back to our roots. Uh, you call yourself chief troublemaker and creator and founder of Curry Up Now. Your roots were being entrepreneurial and innovative from the outset. But how did you rely upon that creativity from the creation, from the foundation of your business? Um, and, and its history to take, not just recover, but be in a position of resilience now? You know, so personally, I've been through this. I was a mortgage guy for 10 years, ran a pretty large mortgage banking operation in the Bay Area. Um, and when 2007 hit, uh, when the, you know, that financial crisis came apart, came, came by, we, uh, I don't want to say we were victims, you know, that's not a good way of putting it. But, you know, we were, you know, subprime lenders and, and obviously business, you know, we tried to, to make it work for a couple of years. It didn't work. But so there was a, you know, there was a lot of kind of that. It came, came right back to me how we survived as, as a family or, 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 you know, as a business, uh, you know, transitioned to other businesses and then finally to a food truck 
and then you know what curry up now is today um so i think it was already there it was it was in me um and it comes you know you tend to forget when times are good you tend to forget when times were bad it comes right back like it comes and slaps you in the face and and you have nothing you've got to react very very quickly and that's what that's what i did you know on a personal level you're describing adaptation uh, can you tell us the history of your founding in that original transition? Do you mean from the mortgage business to this? Exactly. Yeah, so the, the Mortgage Pointer, which was my mortgage company, shut down uh, around 2008. Um, and uh, I started at that point a debt settlement, tax settlement, uh, bankruptcy kind of support. Uh, you know, you must have heard, I mean, all of us have heard, or seen TV ads for debt reduction or tax uh, negotiation. So we, uh, my partners and I started a, the back end part of it. So we were doing negotiations um, and also some front end sales. Um, and we were supporting, you know, the front end operations of, of hundreds of companies um, and very soon became one of the largest back end supporters. Uh, and we were running this company out of India and Costa Rica. Uh, but, you know, my heart wasn't there. Um, and, and three years later, uh, I, I started Curry Up Now in 2009, but I didn't, I, I wasn't full-time until 2012. Uh, my wife was running the company before that. So, you know, those three or four years, um, you know, I was, <laughs> I would, I would go to the food truck. I was, I was the main, one of the main cooks. We only had a staff of, you know, four, including my wife and I, uh, I'm one of the employees who's still with us. Um, and so I would cook from, let's say 11 to one thirty, and then go to my office, uh, you know, finish the debt, debt, debt settlement part of the work and then come back, cook for the next day. So that's kind of how it, you know, it all began. When you think of the truck and the proximity to human beings and now the relative uh, absence of that kind of human contact, uh, the truck is a rather intimate experience for those who stand online or you and your colleagues who are in the kitchen as you think of the future, uh, how can we preserve the intimacy of the culinary experience, which I know you do so splendidly with your mail order service? Uh, how do you preserve that essence of personal intimacy while still recognizing you, you can't, as Texas is attempting to do, reopen without masks? You can't do things that are just impervious to science. Yeah, you cannot. And and you're right. The trucks are a very intimate experience. And, you know, we're, our truck business is not one that just, you know, tweets or, or Instagram posts like, hey, we'll be here, come and see us. That, you know, that model changed for us a while ago. We, uh, most of our business comes in the financial district in San Francisco or through, you know, events that we do with, uh, with uh, all the technology companies or the biotech companies around us. And obviously that's not there right now and neither is the financial district. And, you know, you, you'll be surprised, but <clears throat> our truck, our truck fan base is so much like we'll get people every day who come stand in line, buy a 10, $12 meal. Then we have people who come three times a week and that doesn't happen in restaurants as much. Uh, it, so yeah, there's there, we miss that a lot. And I don't know if, if we'll ever see the same guests that we used to earlier because obviously there's been such a big change 
in the workforce and the relocation from San Francisco and things like that. But I'm sure there's a majority of people will hopefully come back here in the next, you know, six months or so. Uh, but in the restaurant side, I mean, in California, we just today were, were able to open two of our restaurants to indoor dining. Last week, we were able to open for outdoor dining. So we haven't even had outdoor dining for a couple of months. Um, and and you you forget, like, I mean, the whole restaurant business is very intimate. It's be it food truck or anything, right? A, a restaurant, a cafe, a bar. There's a lot of intimacy there. And, and you lose that um, with, obviously, to-go orders and things like that. And, you, you know, you try, you write handwritten notes to your guests. Uh, thanks for ordering. Come and see us, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, there's nothing like having a guest order at the counter and, and running food to him or her or a group. Um, we miss that a lot. We're starting that again, to, you know, tomorrow uh, in in a bunch of our restaurants. Um, it's going to be weird. It's been a long time since we did that. But, I mean, this is what our staff lives for. This, You know, the energy, the energy is kind of, it's it's a two-sided energy, right? Right now it's one-sided. We're not seeing our guests. But now we'll start hopefully to see some and, and I think it'll 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 help. It'll help with what I call kind of the healing during kind of the end of COVID or around the end of COVID, right? In the next four or five months, whenever it it gets back to normal. What you're describing really is a kind of rehabilitation, especially for communities in your California and my New York, but across metropolises that have more the brunt of this disease. And from that perspective, for both the staff and the consumers, I don't know if you disagree, but rehabilitation or retuning kind of your mental state is probably what's in order to get back to the any semblance of normalcy. Yeah, I mean, listen, this everybody now knows somebody or the other who's either passed away or has been affected in a negative way, uh, people who've lost their jobs, uh, businesses that are operating at 30% of revenue or 60% of revenue. I mean, this is, it's going to need some healing for sure. Uh, and, and I think it's part of it has started with some sort of return to, to normalcy. I mean, I was excited to see that we could go watch a movie now. <laughs> That's been, a, you know, it's been a long time. Um, I mean, it's, it's, there's, it's, I mean, it's good stuff. I mean, my kids are back in school. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, my internet's back to normal at home three days a week where, where I don't have three kids on zoom. So yeah, I mean, things are, things are definitely changing and I think there's going to be a lot more healing needed actually. Let's discuss the healing of your culinary genius and uh, the food that is, is, uh, helpful and restorative of the soul and the stomach, um, for your national service, you're delivering, um, creative, as I said, creative takes and also the classics of Indian fare. Um, what has been the strongest response of your offerings around the country? You know, so we uh, partnered with Gold Belly um, just about, you know, a, a few weeks after the pandemic began. And, uh, you know, we started selling meal kits or actually family style meals, traditional meals, um, lentils, chicken tikka masala, butter chicken or whatever, and uh, and some vegetables. And then we also did our, our crowd favorite, which is the burritos, um, samosas and things like that. Um, but uh, surprising, uh, we do, we obviously do very well with the burritos. 
We also do pretty well with the family meals, but the number one um, selling family meal is our vegan meal. So that was a that was a surprise. Um, there is there is a demand there for that, um, and you know most most people know that Indian food's fairly you know vegan friendly, vegetarian friendly anyway. But I don't think it was it was available everywhere. So yeah, we uh, um, and you know we have a it's the the meals called Peace Love Vegan. So I mean it's it's very clear as to what it is. Um, and so yeah, that's that's done very well for us. And actually now. We're we're starting to offer like a bar, you know, like an Indian barbecue kit, which hasn't really been done. Like you know, uh, 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 lamb chops and things like that, uh, or a rack of lamb actually is what we're doing. And 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 we're actually going to move over to like some of our other uh, uh, favorites, crowd favorites, like the deconstructed samosa, or or even sexy fries, um, because you know we think those things can, can do well. Uh, and that's what we're known for. So I think, so yeah, we're, we're a year into it. Now we're kind of expanding our, our, uh, our, our offering, uh, for, for nationwide orders. And for those listening, these offerings are pre-cooked in your kitchen and largely available for folks to heat after they've been cooked by you and your colleagues. Yeah. So heat and hot water because they're sealed, they're vacuum sealed. Um, heat and hot water, uh, some of it involves baking. Um, so like the naan or the samosa, uh, will involve baking or even an air fryer. Um, so we have, you know, we, we, there's instructions on a QR code that, you know, um, our, our customers can, can easily heat. The idea is we, we don't want to put pressure and we don't want to make anybody feel as if they're not able to, to recreate the experience that we can in the restaurant. It's never going to be a hundred percent. But as long as we could get it to like 95, I'm happy. And what do you think will be the future in terms of restaurant and culinary efficiencies? Um, the fact that folks recognize they can have restaurant quality food delivered to them, not just by a delivery service in their hometown, but by UPS or FedEx. What do you think the long-term implications are of that? I think so. That's going to be, that's going to stay. All right. Uh, in fact, <laughs> just before the pandemic began, uh, a buddy of mine who, who's also in the restaurant business um, has some technology experience and me and a couple of other people were looking to kind of incubate a company where we were doing kind of taking meals from San Francisco restaurants and, and, you know, packaging them and then, and then shipping them to, or delivering them to, you know, the suburbs, because it's not very often that people come into the city uh, to, 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 to eat food. It's usually weekends or celebratory kind of events. Um, but I think that part of the business with, with so many companies who have started, um, not just with nationwide shipping, but like regional shipping, uh, which is easier. Um, and also, uh, you know, also kind of more uh, micro regional, whereas let's say the Bay Area, right? There's the suburbs and then there's restaurants in San Francisco or San Jose or, or wherever. And, and how do we, you know, get food from those restaurants that are 40, 50 miles away? Because the DoorDash and the Uber Eats will go probably three to eight miles. But how do you get food to 40 miles? So I think that'll stay. Um, and, and also, I think, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the new phenomena of ghost kitchens and, and virtual kitchens and things like that. Uh, fulfillment centers and, and those are gonna those are gonna pop up as well and 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 I think that's where there's a lot of uh, 
cadence at this point. You know, there's a lot of activity going on. What about the recalibrating of the structure within a restaurant, the economic picture and our recognition of just how many Americans were employed in the culinary service industry? Um, Do you see any movement at the state level in California or elsewhere around the country of attempting to ensure that the long-term result of the pandemic is more kind of more equitable arrangement for all staff of a restaurant? You know, I think, first, I think there's a lot of pent up demand. So people are going to come back. I mean, you know, I live, I live near an area where, you know, I was actually, I, for the first time in, I don't know, almost a year, I went out for brunch with my family and it was just thousands of people on that street felt a little scary, but felt good. You know, uh, you know, you, you, you feel good when restaurants do well. Um, but I think certain things are going to change. I think the staff's going to come back, but I think there's going to be more, you know, like digital ordering or QR code ordering, uh, or self ordering, um, self checkout, um, those things are going to be there. I think, I mean, people have realized, restaurateurs have realized that they could do more with less. Um, and maybe, you know, the service levels will improve as well, uh, where kind of the recalibration, as you refer to it, maybe moves from a front of house person being behind a cash register and maybe coming to, to the dining area and just taking care of guests there. Um, I call it kind of the the Apple store model where there's really no checkout counter. I've never, you know, when I first started the restaurant, I spoke to my designer. I'm like, why do we need a, why do we need a counter? Why do we need a cash register? Why can we have floating, you know, uh, floating uh, order takers, like, you know, live human beings and who are also taking care of guests uh, in a fast casual environment, not just in a sit down environment. So I think some of that, uh, you know, I'm going to now, obviously do uh, because I, you know, I like to kind of try to mess around and see if, you know, something sticks, not everything sticks, uh, but you know, some things do stick. And if you don't take a risk, it's, it's never going to happen. So I think a lot of us have played safe. uh, And now we've, we've learned that, you know, you've got to keep innovating and you've got to, got to keep it interesting for our guests and our employees, actually. With respect to the, economic model inside restaurants, questions about compensation, tipping, equity. Um, Do you think that that is a matter that can be resolved by self-governance, like within individual cafes, restaurants, culinary enterprises? Or do you think that there ought to be a more active position from the state of California or the federal government when it comes to wages, benefits, compensation, and the organization of restaurants so that there is an equitable experience for all employees? There's two things. There are certain brands who, who take a more socially forward position where, you know, they pay, they have their own minimum wage or living wage or whatever they call it. Um, But for the most part, obviously, the industry pays minimum wage and relies on tips. Um, We, you know, in in the Bay Area, 
you know, we've always, I mean, not always, but we've been at the $15 an hour uh, rate, which, I mean, if you think about it, $15 an hour in, in the Bay Area uh, or on, you know, where you are, or even Seattle or Southern California or a bunch of this country, you're not able to, that's not a living wage, in my opinion. It's just not. Um, and maybe, maybe fast casual employees get three to four bucks an hour in tips. And even then, it's not enough. Um, people have to work two, three, four jobs uh, or, or rely on the gig economy. So I think, I think the sooner it gets to the, the government kind of getting involved, the better I support it. I know a lot of my friends in the industry do not. Um, and, and let's face it, at the end of the day, price of food will go up. Um, and the price of food, I believe in this country, needs to go up a little bit um, and needs to go down in some places. You know, the fine dining places are just ridiculous. I was eating a, a piece of a small four ounce piece of fish four or five months ago in, in Palo Alto. And it was $65. And, and okay, it was a slightly fancy restaurant, 65 bucks. Then they tagged on a 20% living wage. Uh, and obviously you're tipping about 20%. So it's an $80 piece of fish. And that I think is ridiculous. Um, and that needs to come down. Uh, but, you know, a, a 4 or $5 burger probably needs to go up. So I think, you know, with that, uh, with that wage going up, uh, I believe, you know, a cost of something like at a Taco Bell, probably not two bucks, it becomes three or four bucks. So, so yeah, there's, there's some room there. And I think, I think, I think the general public will be okay with that. Um, I believe so. I think the restaurants are, need to support it. I really do. Akash, is there a way to do it more effectively for those that you identify opposed to the $15 minimum wage um, you know, is there a way to streamline it um, so that we can get equity? We know the current political reality is is likely um, not going to pass the fifteen dollar mm-hmm. minimum wage. Is is there a more effective way to accomplish what you just described in the equilibrium, resetting the equilibrium? so that it's not so out of whack when it comes to food pricing. Yeah, it's such a it's it's such a political issue, right? And and I guess some most of these things are. But if you, you know, blue states versus red states, I mean, the 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 Californias and the New Yorks and and the Illinois and, and let's say Washington, uh, even Portland, I think. So there's there's a higher living wage in 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 those cities, but then you have the tip credit states where people are getting two, three, four bucks an hour, um, and, and then relying on tips. So I, I, I think maybe, maybe the state level. I mean, I know in 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 Northern California, and I know some in Southern California. Even the cities have passed kind of like Berkeley has has one of the highest living wages in in the Bay Area, um, and also has some special kind of healthcare uh, rules. I know, I know, like San Francisco, where we have a restaurant has. Uh, a healthcare program that we have to pay into. So I think, I mean, the cities will probably get involved um, and and like they have here. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, it, you know, I, 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 I haven't fully understood the political landscape of this country, even though I've lived here for so long. It's, it's super political and, and hopefully 
I mean, we all know that making eight, 10, 12 bucks an hour, while okay when you're in high school or maybe first year of college, it's not okay when you're a little older and we're starting to build a family. It's just not there. Akash Kapoor of Curry Up Now, thank you so much for your insight and your story today. Thank you so much for having me here. It's good talking to you.